Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Um, and we are going to be this morning in the book of Acts, the book of Acts chapter 9. And so I want to invite you uh, to turn there. We're in this series about tools and how God uses um, particular things um, to, to shape us. Last week, um, we started with this idea that God is the God who calls for our consecration. Now, that's again, that's not a word that we use a lot in our normal vernacular, but... Um, consecration is the dedication. It's the setting apart. And we looked at Romans chapter 12 where it says um, we, God uh, wants us to offer our lives as a living sacrifice to him. And it's that consecration that begins the transformation um, of our lives into uh, the person that Jesus wants us to become. And today we're taking a, a step to look at a specific tool, and that is to take a risk, take the risk, and obey. Take the risk and obey. And so in Acts chapter 9, if you're a user, uh, excuse me, if you want to have a Bible that you can open and you don't have one in front of you, you can grab one off the sides of the tech booth. If you're a user of the Bible app, you can open that app and find our live event and track along with the scriptures, sermon notes, and uh, all that kind of stuff. In Acts chapter 9, if you're not familiar with this particular chapter, really important chapter in the book and uh, the way that it is, uh, uh, the, the, the book kind of turns and hinges on, on this story. Early in Acts chapter 9, uh, there's a guy named Saul, and he is riding along. He is uh, doing the things that he has thought he was supposed to be doing um, by persecuting the church, uh, by uh, taking Christians and throwing them in jail, by doing any number of other things um, against the person and the work of Jesus and his people. And he takes all of this on the road, uh, to, puts the show on the road uh, to Damascus. He's on the way to Damascus. God quite literally knocks him off of his high horse, um, puts him on the ground. He ultimately goes blind, speaks to him, and he finds himself um, there in Damascus. Uh, look, look, if you will, in Acts chapter 9, uh, verse 9. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So this is the setting in which you find ourselves. Now, maybe you haven't had that experience. Uh, maybe your uh, experience goes a little bit more, maybe something like this. In, in, um, when I was in college a long, long time ago, um, uh, we went to Ecuador uh, for a mission trip. My friend Steve and I, he's a pastor in Louisiana, so you can pray for him. Uh, but he pastors in Louisiana. My friend Steve and I, we went to Ecuador. We met some people from Great Britain. Uh, we were there uh, on um, basically a, a hillside for about eight weeks working in this farming community, doing construction and several other things. And um, it came time for us to go. There was a team, our team, there, and then there was another team in a coastal city. And so we um, kind of, by hook and crook, caught a, a, a truck and then a train, and then we ultimately got to see them and see the uh, um, kind of where they were and the work that they were doing. It was pretty incredible. Then it came time to leave, and we had to go back to Quito, Ecuador, the capital, in order to catch, uh, catch our flight home. Uh, so the way that this happened was you load up your backpack with all of your goods, worldly goods like that you've toted with you that, you know, 50 pounds or so, um, and uh, you put it on your back, and then you literally grab a truck. You're like, hey, can you take us to the train station? It's six miles down the road. We don't want to walk the whole way. You pay a little money. You jump in the back of a truck, you and your entire team, and you drive to the train station. We're sitting there at the train station. Train comes. Train leaves. Not our train, thankfully. Uh, we're still waiting on our train to come, and probably uh, for me to Clint right here, 20, 30 feet away, a fight breaks out between two dudes. And they're going to blows. Now, the, the British people, they're really, really nice. They drink their tea with their pinky up. I mean, the whole thing, right? Steve and I, on the other hand, grew up in small towns. So we're like, we ain't going to 
they're sitting there kind of spectating. I'm like, I'm going to stay out of this business. And sure enough, uh, one drew a knife. And then the other dude jumped a counter and came back with a machete. And I'm like, uh, I mean, it's going to get really bad really fast, y'all. We need to go. So we caught another truck. He drove us down because the train was going to be delayed. He drove us down to the river and he said, there'll be a boat there that can take you um, to the place you need to go and you can catch the bus. There was not a boat. There was a dugout canoe at flood stage. And I'm not kidding on this. So what we do is we jump in. There's three dugout canoes. We jump in three per uh, thing with all of our worldly goods and possessions, like sitting, you know, you're sitting in this dugout canoe. The water level is about that uh, far from the, the side of the canoe. There's some guy that you don't know with an oar in the back. The river is screaming, right? I mean, it's twice safe, so it is moving. And so you're like, well, I mean, Jesus, I guess this has been a good ride. Thank you so much for all the goodness that you've done to me. I'm really grateful. There came a point, literally, where you're watching all of this happen. Brown flood water. You go over. They're not finding you. They're not finding your luggage. They're not finding anything, right? I mean, it's, it's just crazy. And you're just floating down the street. There came a point where I'm like, I am incredible. This is the dumbest thing I've ever done. And I'm incredibly at peace with this. Like, this is full on the riskiest Moment, like if my mom saw me right now, you know, like that kind of thing. And I am fully at peace with where I am. This is the challenge today. To take a risk and obey. And what you will find along the way is, yeah, there may be stuff that happens in your life. For some of you, that risk is personal. For some of you, that risk is relational. For some of you, that risk may be some other um, avenue or some other thing that you need to step into. But listen, um, uh, You take the risk and you obey because God uses that step right there to shape who you are. So here we go, Acts chapter 9. Now we're going to pick up in verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And really, other than Jesus, I mean, this guy's the hero of this story. There was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. He said to him, here I am, Lord. Let's just pause right there. Um, there, there was a, a real sense of clarity about Ananias. Why? Because God called his name. And you're like, well, God's never called my name. But he has. Because you're sitting here thinking about him, speaking with him, singing songs to him. You'll pray to him. You'll hear from him. Like, this is how God speaks to us primarily. And so he's, here's the crazy thing for me. There was clarity. But bigger than that, Ananias said yes before he even knew the assignment. His hand was raised. He's like, Ananias, yes, that's me. Here I am. You, if you've been around church a while, maybe you recognize that here I am, Lord thing. Isaiah, when he had a vision also, big, he was in the temple. He, there was a, a national um, craziness and chaos at the time. And he sees kind of the bottom half of the throne of God. He's like, oh my goodness, I am done and undone right here all at the same time. And God speaks, hey, who am I going to send? Isaiah's like, me. He didn't even know where he was sending him. Doesn't know what he's supposed to say. Doesn't know what's going Send me, just me, I, I'm in. He said yes before he even knew the assignment. This is reflective of what we talked about last week. This kind of consecration. This kind of, I am willing, God, to do whatever you want. I am willing. My life is yours. It's not mine. My life is yours. I am offering my very life as a living sacrifice to you. Would you do something with me? Would you do something with me? I'm giving my life to you, and I'm going to trust that not only you'll use me, but that you will transform me. What? It, 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 I, I guess maybe this question comes to you like this. It is your yes 
on the table like his was. I'm willing. God, my hands are open. Whatever you want, this is, this is, this is you. He said yes before he knew the assignment. Now, there was also clarity not just in Ananias in his involvement, but on what he was supposed to do. Look at verse 11. The Lord said to him, rise. Go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, by the way, there's still a street called Straight in Damascus. At the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he's praying, and he has sent in a vision, excuse me, seen in a vision, um, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. God was very clear on what he, what he wanted Ananias to do. I want you to go to the street called Straight. You need to find Judas' house. You need to step into that house right there. There's going to be a dude there. And I've already spoken to him. He knows that you're coming. And you're going to lay hands on him. And you're going to pray. And uh, he's going to regain his sight. Clear on what God wanted him to do. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go in and pray for this guy. And he's going to regain his sight. But, 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 listen. There was far more than that that was going to be involved. As the story unfolds here, you'll see. There was far more than that that was going to be involved. And church family, here's what I'd say to you. If, if God has spoken to you, if he's called your name and said, hey, this is what I want you to do, you will be stepping into something and there will be far greater things that you can imagine that will go on because you were willing to take the risk and because you were willing to obey, because you were willing to say the thing, because you were willing to be vulnerable, because you were willing to admit um, your weakness, because you were willing to confess, because you were willing to praise, even though uh, it looked like a pretty dark storm, because you were willing to speak up, even though you knew you might take some fire on the backside of it. Because you were willing to do the right thing, even though it was difficult. There will be far more at stake. Indeed, Ananias met Paul, Saul, in his chaos and craziness and in his trauma. I mean, all the stuff that was Paul's... I mean, he had been sitting there for three days, completely blind, did not eat, did not drink. And what was happening in Paul's brain is he had done his best to stamp out the... the um, the, the movement, the early movement of Christianity to say, Jesus, he, he is not worth following. He is dead. Don't worry. And all of a sudden, the risen Jesus has appeared to him and he had to spend three days completely rewiring his brain. And Ananias stepped into that. Yes, sight. But far more than that. He was clear on what he wanted Ananias to do. Now, if you're Ananias... I, I just I love this part of the story. If you're Ananias and God shows up and he's like, hey, go to the street called Straight, Judas' house. There's this guy from Tarsus. His name is Saul. I want you to do this thing. W- what is your response if you're Ananias? Oh, sure, God, no problem. I got you, no problem. I trust you completely. Let's go. Well, you, if you're like some super saint, you know, and you just... That may be your response, not Ananias. Ananias, a lot more like me, maybe like you. Look at verse 13. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Ananias was what? He was scared. There's fear. So when you take a risk and obey, there will be clarity on this. We're not talking about you being dumb. We're not talking about you just, you know, being uh, unwise, any of those kinds of things. This is in response to God speaking. But that doesn't mean that there's not necessarily fear that's involved. There may very well be fear. Look at how Ananias expressed it. Uh, Lord, I've heard about this man. I know his reputation. I, I know this guy. Like Saul of Tarsus? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's like 
on the poster at the post office thing. Like, I mean, this is that guy. And how, he says, um, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. I know this guy's reputation, and I know what he did over there. And how he has authority from the chief priest um, to bind all who call on his name. I know what he did there, and I know what he can do here. I'm looking around going, oh, he's in town? Oh, dude, we need to lay low. Oh, we need to hang out. We need to back up. We need to kind of go and shelter. And, and God is sending him precisely to that. Here's the thing on that. I, I just Ananias was terrified of this. And rightly so. Here's what I want to encourage you that I hope will take, <laughs> that I, I hope will take you to the place like it did with Ananias to say, God, I am still willing. Yes, I'm terrified, but I'm still willing. Here's what I want you to hear. God is not afraid of your fear or your expression of it. God is not afraid of your fear. You may be afraid. You may be afraid of your fear. Well, if I say this out loud, then people... You may need something else to step into your world and give you that kind of help. But you may be afraid of your own fear, much less being fearful, afraid of that fear. God's not afraid of that, nor is he afraid of our expression of it. When we say those things out loud to God, when we bring those things to the Lord, God, here I am. This is what I got. I know you want me to do this. I'm telling you, though, like you can feel my pulse. You can look at the tracker thing on my watch. I mean, I'm scared to death here. God's not afraid of that moment right there. Some of us don't think we can relate to God in that moment because we are terrified. No, no. It's precisely in that moment that we bring that fear to God. We bring it to Him. He's not afraid of our fear, and He's not afraid of our expression of it. In fact, expressing fear actually brought more insight. Look, look what happened. Verse 11. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, verse uh, 15. Uh, he said to him, uh, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show you, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Because he brought his fear forward, he gained greater insight. When I'm honest with God, you've heard this if you've been around. When I'm honest with God, it invites intimacy with God. And so he is like, oh God, I'm terrified of this. So like, I know who this guy is. I know what he's done. And I know what he can do here. And I don't know what, okay, but I'm, uh, here I am, God. And God's like, hey, listen, I'm going to show him some stuff. And I'm going to do that through you. S some of you... Um, tracked on social media, I'm trying to teach a kid how to ride a bike. And to, to be clear, yet one more time, running a marathon and teaching a kid to ride a bike, those are not congruent. This ride, Teaching a kid to ride a bike takes far more effort, energy, cardiovascular endurance, and general patience. For all you marathoners out there, you are incredible, awesome, unbelievable. Please come teach my kid. No, okay, I'm not going to. It just takes some doing because as a dad, you, you have to balance, right? You got to do the left, right thing. You got to do the push, pull thing. You got to do the thing where you are encouraging, hey, you've got this in instruction. Please don't put your feet down like that. You have to balance those two things. And every so often, if there's instruction, it can come across a little harsh. And so what do you have to do? You got to bring some more encouragement or encouragement can be a little soft. So you got to bring some, this is what we're talking about here. Um, God 
has a pretty good balance here of instruction and encouragement. And listen, he's a far greater father than this guy is. He knows exactly what you need and how, how you will need um, to, to be encouraged, how you will need to be instructed in order that, in order that you can step forward despite your fear. Despite your fear. He's not afraid of your fear and he's not afraid of your expression of it. In this particular case, God dealt with Ananias' fear not by going, oh, it's okay, Ananias, but by saying, hey, this is why I'm sending you and you need to know that God, excuse me, that I am going to do something in this guy's life. Third word, obedience. Obedience. Look at verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house. Was he scared? Yeah. What did he do? He obeyed. Was he terrified? Yes. Was it a risk? Yes. But he still, but he still obeyed. Oh, Ananias got to the point where he obeyed even though he was scared. Even though he was scared. What he found out as he obeyed, even though he was terrified, as he obeyed, what he found out is that God was already there. Like he was already there. And he obeyed all the way through, like not just token obedience, not just giving a little something. Hey, you need to go apologize to that person. Okay. Hey, I'm sorry. Not, not like that, but really stepping into that. Hey, I want you to do this. And you're going, oh, well, here, I'll make this little effort. No, he was in all the way on this deal. He went. He obeyed. He went into the house. He obeyed all the way, not just a token obedience. And again, what did he find out? That God was already at work. He really had shown Saul, who would come, become Paul, a vision. He really had spoken. He really had prepared. He really had done all of these things. I'm telling stories on my kids today. This is just that sermon. Um, do, do you remember uh, teaching your kid to jump off a diving board? I distinctly remember one of my kids jumping off a diving board. We're at family camp. Some of you know we're big family camp people. We love this. Um, and they, they had the pool with the diving board. And uh, you're out there in the 10-foot water, right? And your kid walks up, toes on the edge, and stands there. And then because the kids start shaking, the board starts shaking, they're like, ah, I'm not getting away from that. You, in the meantime, are basically drowning because you're like this far, because you're doing the, the uh, uh, tread water thing, and you've been out there for, I don't know, it, it may, be a, may have been three minutes, but it feels like 33 minutes. And you're out there, just jump, just jump. Daddy's going to get you. I'm going to get you. Just do <sighs> Just to come in, right? Like you're struggling, and you're the, you, know, you see the kids struggle, right? You get there, and finally, finally, what happens? They jump. And they figure out, Dad is really there. He really is going to get you. He really is going to make sure that you can get to the side of the pool. He really will just stand there, and, or stand there, tread water there, and wait on you to do the thing. And then once they do, oh, let's do it again, let's do it again, let's do it again. For some of you, you're at the place where the riskiest thing that you could do is kind of take that leap, whatever it may be, that you know that God has told you to do. Speak into that relationship. Step out of a relationship. I mean, like, there are a number of things that are represented in the room. Some stories I know and some I don't. But, like, this moment is where you jump off the diving board and what you're going to find is that you're not floundering in 10-foot water. Your father is already there. Obey. Even though you may be scared. And go ahead and jump. Obey all the way. Okay, last thing, impact, impact. So the rest of verse 17. Uh, Ananias departed, entered the house. There's his obedience. Laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Sometimes this impact, when we think about it, sometimes we get to see it, sometimes we don't. And Ananias got to see part of it, but he didn't get to see all of it. So I just, I got maybe two or three questions here, three questions. Uh, First of all, did it impact Ananias? Did him being willing to take the risk, did it really change him? Did God use him taking the risk to obey? Did it really shape him into who God wanted him to be? Yes. First of all, it called out what was in him. In Acts 22, Paul is telling the story of his conversion. And what he says is Ananias was a devout and godly man who took this risk to come and pray for me. Ananias may not have known that was in him, but God showed it to him. And every so often, church family, listen, God wants you to step out so that you can see, yeah, God really is at work here and he's working in me. He's bringing things out of me that I didn't know were there. He's shaping me. He's changing me. He's transforming me. He's readying me. He called out what was in him. And secondly, there was joy in joining God in the work. There was, there was joy in that. Now, I mean, I don't know what Ananias' Thanksgiving dinner looked like. But, but don't you think at some point, well, I mean, just ask this question. Here at the end of verse 18, um, then he rose, that's Paul, Saul, he rose and was baptized. Who do you think did the baptism? I mean, it doesn't specifically say, but who's the most likely candidate? Ananias. That's exactly right, Ananias. So, I mean, again, he's just sitting around and people are like, oh, yeah, you know, God's been at work around the world. That's amazing. He's like, yeah, I know. It's cool. Hey, have you ever done anything to, to be a part of this, Dad? Uh, Grandpa, whatever. He's like, yeah, well, you know, I, I did get to baptize a guy. Oh, yeah, what was his name? Saul. I mean, that's a pretty cool Thanksgiving conversation right there. Joy, joy in joining um, what, was, what God was doing. I, I, again, we're just talking about kids. Uh, I never, so I've got one, uh, zip lines. Anybody a fan of zip lines in here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you get all harnessed up, right? Uncomfortably. So you attach yourself to a small steel cable and then you jump off a really tall platform and hope that everything goes okay. This is zip lining. Fantastic. A lot of fun. Yeah. Who's with me? Yeah. Woo! Okay. All right. Uh, one year family camp again. This is another family camp story and another kid's story. One year family camp, we had one who uh, walked up, got snapped in, everything's ready. Walk of shame back down. Walked up, back down. Two days later, walked up, walk of shame back down. I mean, literally, I'm up there and the little counselor guy who's running the thing, I'm like, hey man, I'll pay you 20 bucks right now if you just eat, just eat. That's terrible, isn't it? I mean, that's terrible parenting. Please don't follow me for parenting advice. But really, I really was going to give the guy 20 bucks if he would just nudge him. He's like, I can't do that. Okay. Then it took to the next year where, like, he walked up. I don't know if he fell off or not. I really don't. But, like, something happened, and he went, and then it was awesome. Like, it was one of his favorite things to do. He took the risk, and there was joy. And then he wanted to do it again 
and again and again. He, he took the risk to, to trust and obey. That point right there was like, okay, if you'll just step off right here. And he took the risk and he obeyed. And listen, there was incredible joy. This is what we're talking about. And Ananias, like you and like me, saw God do what only God can do. Transform the life of someone and then launch them into something significant and world impacting. Did it impact Ananias? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how about Paul? Did, did it impact Paul? Yeah, it absolutely did. Uh, if you're not familiar, Saul became Paul. Um, did, immediately, it says that scales fell from his eyes. I mean, getting your sight back once you've been blind for three days, I mean, that's a reasonable, like that's something to celebrate there. But more than that, he, he was filled. It says uh, with the Spirit at the end of verse 17, he wants you to rise. I'm going to pray for you so that you can see your sight will be restored and be filled with the Spirit. So scales fell, the Spirit filled him up, and then um, it changed the course of his life. So much so that he changed his name. I used to be Saul. Today, you call me Paul. It's so different for me. I, I, just, I just need a new name. How about others, though? I mean, it impacted Ananias, shaped him, impacted Paul, shaped him. How about the others, though? Was there broader impact? Uh, yeah. Look, look at what happens in, at the end of verse uh, 19. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately, he proclaimed... Jesus in the synagogue saying, he's the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, isn't this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose uh, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul, again, became Paul, increased all the more in strength, confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. Did it impact others? Yes, you had immediate impact there in Damascus. Paul shows up. He's like, hey, listen, I don't know everything. I was riding a horse. I got knocked off. That guy is alive. I'm telling you, he's the Messiah. I thought he wasn't. I did some things to make sure that people didn't believe that he wasn't. But I'm telling you, I believe today that he's the Messiah. He is the son of God. People are like, "Uh, is that the same guy? Immediate impact. They start firing questions at him. He's like, well, I don't know. I hadn't read all the theology books. I hadn't written the letters to the New Testament churches yet. But I do know this, that Jesus is the Messiah. And he had to work this thing through. He didn't have all the answers. Anybody? Does that apply to anybody? He didn't have all the answers. Had to do some more thinking. Had to do some more praying. Had to do some more reading. Had to do some more studying. I didn't have all the answers. But I know this. There was an immediate impact on Damascus. And secondly, Saul became Paul, who became the missionary. Three different missionary journeys changed the face of the Roman Empire, planting churches all throughout the known world at the time. And those churches planted churches, and the good news spread like wildfire, so much so that he was actually accused of turning the world upside down. And how about us? This lasting impact, there's immediate impact and widespread impact, but the lasting impact, and that impacts on us. Why? We're still talking about it today. We're reading his letters today. We are shaped by the reprogrammed mind, the transformed mind, the renewed mind of this guy that Ananias was willing to step out and go to. Uh, Let let me just give you these two things really quickly. I I was thinking about, this is a late ad just for the sermon in our church family. Let's give you these two things. These are two questions. I just want you to ponder. Will you, will you draw near? Like that's a risk for some of us, drawing near. Will you connect with people? Will you 
be with the people of God and let them come to know you and let them, uh, excuse me, and you get to know them? Will you be eyeball to eyeball with people? Will you find yourself in a small group or a Bible study or a Sunday school class? Will you connect with people? Will you draw near? Yes to God and to his people. Will you, will you draw near? And secondly, will you reach out? Church family, there are things that God wants to do through us, through you. And you will get into conversations and you will be a part of things that I never will, staff never will, deacon never will. Like there are things that God wants you specifically to do. Will you reach out to neighbors and friends and people on your soccer team and people um, that you're sitting next to at a baseball game and on and on and on? Will you reach out? If you've been around our church family, you've seen this figure before. Just quickly, I just want to highlight this as something to keep before us. It all starts for us as a church family with this, what we call the culture of invitation. It's a real simple question. Do you go to church anywhere regularly? It's the regularly that gets people. Oh, yeah, well, I go. Oh, no, no, I don't actually. You just, well, we'd love for you to join us sometime in Heritage Park. That's it. Ten seconds. That, that quick. That easy. And that conversation will be had any number of places, But that conversation also opens doors to further conversations where you get a chance to tell your story. That's, that's that next level where it, it's a smaller level. You won't get this with everybody, but you will have the opportunity to tell your story. Well, people will say to you, why in the world do you invest in something like that? Oh, well, let me just tell you. And off you go. And you think to yourself, well, I don't really have a story. Like I grew up around here. No, you have a story. God has changed your life just as much as he has changed Saul into Paul. He's given, if you will, you as well, a new name. Like you are further, excuse me, you were um, uh, out of uh, the promises of God. You were separated from him, and now he has brought you in. And you have a story. You have a story to tell. And then lastly, you may, because you tell your story, you may get the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Hey, I want to invite you to consider what Jesus has done. He has died in your place and for your sins. He has risen again. And he wants to lay claim to your life. Will you surrender to him today? You get that opportunity. You may very well get that opportunity. Will you draw near? Will you be a part of God and his people? And will you reach out? Why is this important for you? Like take a risk and obey. Why is this important for you? This will shape you. Being with God's people, it will shape you and reaching out it will shape you into who god wants you to be and we're coming to a time of communion and listen this is why we're transitioning this way because there was a point where somebody invited you to church it may have been your parents and the invitation was something like grabbing you by the ear and dragging you that's fine but there was a point where somebody invited you to church there was a some there was a point where somebody told their story to you and there was a point where somebody shared the gospel We get to be that for somebody as well. You're coming to a time of communion. And what you will do in that moment is remember. You will remember what God has done for you. And the challenge now is, will you be that someone? Will you be Ananias for somebody else? Will Will you take the risk and obey? I'm going to offer a prayer for us. Um, communion is at the tables today. There's five different stations around. Uh, we'll have some music playing. When you're ready, uh, as a family, um, you can go to the tables, but we'll work through all that here in just a second. Let me pray, though, right now and ready our hearts for this, okay?
if you want to take just a moment and if you need to catch your breath here, if you need to uh, maybe say some things to the Lord, if you need to um, just pause, maybe He's speaking to you right now and you just want to give yourself some space to hear Him, go ahead and take a moment. Father, what we know um, is that in this moment, your Holy Spirit is at work. Uh, You don't send out your word and let it return to your void. And so, Father, over every single person who heard this morning, every single one, would you now, even now, like in this very second, Be pulling out of them the things that you want. Be building into them the things that you want to build in. Would you be about the work of transformation? God, there are some who are very clear on what the risk that you want them to take is. They know that they are Ananias and they know who Saul is. Some may be not so sure yet, but God, would you make it clear? Help us not to be foolish, but help us to be willing, willing to do what you want us to do. We come to communion to remind ourselves of what you've done for us. You're worth following today, Jesus, all the way through. You're worth sticking our lives in the canoe of you, so to speak, and going where you lead us. You're worth that because of what you've done for us. May this be a fresh reminder of it. May it be worship and honor to you. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen.